order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mims Davis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mr. Speaker, please. The Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mims Davis. Emily Davison died on the 8th of June in 1913. Yesterday we commemorated women's suffrage and the importance of votes for women. And women voting for women, of course. Uh, Thousands wanted to vote yesterday, but due to massive demand were unable to. Will the PM update the House on what he's doing to ensure everyone has a chance to register their vote and can do so in this vital vote for a generation? Well, first of all, let me join my uh, honourable friend in in, um, remembering what the suffragettes stood for, what they achieved, uh, and the fact that we achieved universal suffrage in this country. On the issue she raises, and I'm sure the whole House will want to know what the situation is on voter registration, look, it's extremely welcome that so many people want to take part in this massive democratic exercise, in this vital decision for our country. Last night there was record demand on the gov.uk website from people concerned they might not be registered to vote in the referendum, and this caused an overload of the system. I'm very clear that people should continue to register today. The Electoral Commission have made a statement this morning urging the government to consider options that would effectively extend the deadline, and these should include legislative options, and we're doing that and discussing it with the Electoral Commission today. So we're working urgently with them to do just that and to make sure those who registered today and who registered last night will be able to vote in the EU referendum. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, I think it would be appropriate if the House recognised and remembered the life of Muhammad Ali today. He was not only the greatest in his chosen field, but someone whose courage and wit inspired so many. And Indeed, I had the honour of meeting him in London in the 1980s and met his wife Lonnie with Doreen Lawrence only a couple of weeks ago. I think we should commend his bravery in facing Parkinson's disease, his courageous campaigning on civil rights, anti-racism and peace. Truly, all of us have lost one of the greatest. Yesterday, Mr Speaker, I met some workers from Sports Direct who were coming to Parliament to give evidence to the Select Committee about the shocking behaviour of that company, non-payment of the minimum wage, a culture of intimidation and fear on top of the insecurity and exploitation of zero-hours contracts. Philip wrote to me this week on this issue and concerned about it and said, the scandalous scourge of zero-hours contracts which is blighting the lives of many already low-paid people. So will the Prime Minister do what some other European countries have done and ban exploitative zero-hours contracts here? Well, first of all, let me join the Leader of the Opposition in paying tribute to the life of Muhammad Ali. He was a hero in the ring. He was an enormous role model outside the ring. Uh, and what he did in, t- in terms of breaking down barriers and encouraging uh, integration, I think, is something we should all celebrate. And I'm sure, standing at this dispatch box, I'm sure we all tried to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee, although uh, that's not always uh, possible in the circumstances that we face. Uh, on the issue of um, Sports Direct and the appalling practice of not paying the minimum wage, I absolutely abhor it, and this government has done more than any previous government to crack down on the non-payment. 
We have levied almost 5,000 penalties since 2010. We continue to name and shame eligible employees where the employers, when the investigation has been closed, something that didn't happen before. Penalties for not paying the minimum wage are at a record high, and the total value of penalties last year was over 15 times bigger than in 2010. So on top of our national living wage, we are going after unscrupulous employees, employers and making sure that people get the deal that they deserve. On the issue of uh, zero-hours contracts, we legislated in the last Parliament to stop exclusive zero-hours contracts, but we followed the conclusions of our um, consultation that said that we shouldn't go further than that and that for some people they want to have the choice of those contracts. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, the case of Sports Direct shows that Mike Ashley certainly isn't a Father Christmas. Indeed, he'd make Scrooge look like a good employer. But and I think we should commend Unite the Union and its members for exposing what went on. And it shows that we must strengthen, not weaken, workers' rights, particularly where there's criminal activities involved. But his government's employment minister, the honourable member for Whitham, said that if we leave Europe, we could just halve the burdens of the European Union social and employment legislation. So perhaps the Prime Minister could help us. Does she speak on behalf of the government when she promises to reduce the burdens, as she describes them, of employment legislation? Or on behalf of whom does she speak? The government is in favour of staying in a reformed European Union because we are stronger, we are safer and we're better off. And for many people, one of the reasons they'll want to stay in the European Union is that they do believe it provides an underpinning in terms of rights for workers and employment rights. I would make the point, in addition, that we in this House have repeatedly chosen to go over and above those rights. So um, we, we've got the right to request flexible working uh, for all workers since 2014. Uh, we went well beyond the maternity leave EU directive, giving 52 weeks maternity leave. Uh, we've given shared parental leave. We give eight days more annual leave for full-time workers than the EU Working Time Directive. I believe that this modern, compassionate, conservative government has an excellent record on these things, underpinned by our membership of the European Union. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, if it is a modern, compassionate, conservative government, as he describes it, why... Why does it have an employment minister who wants to reduce the burdens, as she describes them, of employment legislation and make work less secure? And uh, I, could I quote one other person who's uh, given some opinions on these matters? And I quote him. He says, I can't guarantee every person currently in their current job will keep their job. That was the member for Surrey Heath, who is the Justice Minister, who seems equally relaxed about unemployment and employment rights. So he has an Employment Minister and a Justice Minister who want to reduce what they describe as workers' protection as a burden. Can't he do something about that? As he knows, we're holding a referendum. That is what is happening. The government has a very clear position, which is we're stronger, safer and better off inside a European Union. That is the advice we're giving to voters in our country. But, of course, there are ministers in the government who, in a personal capacity, are campaigning on another side of the argument. Now, I don't agree with them. 
So I don't agree with what the Honourable Member, Right Honourable Member for Surrey Heath said. I don't agree with what the Honourable Member for Whitham said. And I couldn't be clear about that. The Government has a clear position. And on this issue, on this issue, not only do he and I agree, not only does the Conservative Government and the Labour Party agree, but we also have the support of the Liberal Democrats. We have the support of the Ulster Unionist Party. We have the support of the Green Party. This is one occasion when, when the business, large and small, and the trade unions are on the same side. I think we should celebrate that and get out and campaign as hard as we can. Mr Speaker, what I do celebrate is the work done by trade unions all across Europe that persuaded the European Union to bring in four weeks paid holiday, laws against sex discrimination, rights for part-time workers, rights for agency workers. But, Mr Speaker, two weeks ago I raised with the Prime Minister the proposed amendment to the Posting of Workers Directive to close a loophole that allows unscrupulous employers to exploit migrant workers and undercut wages here. Will he now reply to my question and confirm that he will argue in Europe for that amendment to close this loophole that allows this exploitation to go on? As I think I said last time, we support the current draft. We want to see this sorted out. We've been working with the Dutch Prime Minister who's leading this work, and we think that an, an amendment to this would be worthwhile. The current draft is good, and we'd back it. Jeremy Corbyn. Well, I'm very pleased that he's backing it, but I hope he backs it to ensure that it goes through. But there is another issue that I raised with him a couple of weeks ago. And that is uh, the anger that exists all over this country, indeed all over the Western world, about tax avoidance. I agree that we're more likely to make progress inside the European Union than outside on tax avoidance, but his members of the European Parliament have not been supporting country-by-country -country tax transparency for, that would force companies to publish their tax payments in each country in which they operate. Will he now tell us when this is going to be supported by his MEPs, when it will go through to close down just one of the many tax loopholes that exist at the present time? Well, first of all, I would argue that no government has done more nationally to crack down on tax evasion and aggressive tax avoidance. And I would also argue that no government has done more internationally to bring this up the international agenda. I made it the centrepiece of my G8. We've driven change in the OECD. We're now driving change in the European Union. And let me confirm, my MEPs do support country-by-country country reporting, and they have said that over and over again, and I'm happy to repeat that again today. Jeremy Corbyn. I'm really pleased that his MEPs support it. We're all delighted about that. I just hope they get round to voting for it when the opportunity comes up, because that would certainly help. He will be aware, Mr Speaker, that the Labour position is that we want to stay in the European Union to improve workers' rights, tackle exploitation, drive down tax evasion and tax avoidance. But we are concerned that uh, these issues are not the priorities of members of his government and his party, such as the member for Uxbridge, the member for Surrey Heath and the member for Whitham. They are speaking to try and destroy any of the social advances made within the European Union. Does he talk to them about this at any time? And do they speak for themselves or him and his government? And if they speak for themselves, how are they ministers at the same time?
Prime Minister! And here I am trying to be so consensual. I'm, I'm doing my best. I, I could, of course, mention that the Honourable Member for Edgbaston was out yesterday spinning for Nigel Farage. So we could always... Um, but I don't want to play that game. I want to stress the unity of purpose there is, particularly over this issue of tax evasion, because there's a serious point here. What we have in prospect in the European Union, in part because of British action, is the idea of saying that if large foreign multinationals want to invest in the European Union, they will have to report their country-by-country country tax arrangements, not just in Europe, but all over the world. Now, that could drive a huge change in some of these very large companies where there are great concerns. And I hope that he and I can unite and say this would be a good thing and shows that when Britain pushes an agenda in Europe, it wins, and it wins for our citizens. Richard Drax. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has repeatedly stated that he secured changes to reform the EU. Will he now confirm that on the 23rd of June, the voters are not guaranteed any treaty change in EU law as no treaty change was achieved, despite a promise to deliver one. And an international agreement cannot change EU law. And finally, will he stop denigrating our great country because it's a sign if any was needed, he's losing the argument. Prime Minister! Well, I know my honourable friend has very strong views about this issue, and I have very strong views about this issue too. But on the specific point he raises, I'm afraid he's not correct. In the renegotiation, we secured two vital treaty changes, one on getting Britain out of ever closer union, and on another on the protection for our currency. And so, look, and I don't accept for one minute that in any way supporting Britain being a member of a reformed European Union is doing our country down. I think if you love your country, you want it to be strong in the world. If you love your country, you want opportunities for your young people. If you love your country, you don't want to act in a way that could lead to its breakup. And that is why what I want to see is not Nigel Farage's little England. I want to see a strong Britain in, in Europe. Last, last week, uh, thousands of dead, last week thousands of dead from both sides in the Battle of Jutland were remembered in commemorations. The Prime Minister joined the First Minister and the Princess Royal and the President of Germany with thousands of people on Orkney to remember the tragedy of so many people losing their lives. Mr Speaker, European cooperation emerged from both world wars as the best way to secure peace. So does the Prime Minister agree that we should never take peace and security for granted, and that is a strong reason to remain in the European yeah. Union? I think the uh, right hon. Gentleman is, is absolutely right about this. There were very moving scenes at Scarpa Flow uh, as we stood uh, on that cemetery ground, and in the background, the British and the German frigates together in Scarpa Flow was a sight I'm not going to forget as we commemorated and remembered how many people lost their lives. And I want to be clear about this because you know, I have the, the words World War III have never passed my lips. Let me reassure everyone about that. But can we really take for granted... Well, of course they have now. Well pointed. Well spotted. Uh, so, 
Can we really take for granted the security and the stability that we enjoy today when we know that our continent has been racked by so many conflicts in the past? Like all Conservatives, I would always give the greatest credit to NATO for keeping the peace, but I think it's always been a Conservative view that the European Union has played its role as well. Angus Robertson. Mr Speaker, this is not about World War III, but it's about the realities, the facts, that there have been wars on the European continent but outside the European Union. They've happened in the Balkans, they've happened in Ukraine, they've happened in the Caucasus. It is also a fact that there have never, ever been any examples, not one single example of armed conflict between member states of the European Union. So will the Prime Minister take the time, the little time that is left ahead of the European referendum, to stress the positive advantages of cooperation, of peace and of stability to us all, not just the single market or the rights that we have as citizens. Peace and prosperity is an advantage to us all and that's why we should remain in the European Union. I very much take on what he says. Look, I think the strongest argument for the government's position of wanting us to stay is that we will be better off, that that market of 500 million people is absolutely essential for our businesses. I think the argument I was just making that we'll be stronger in the world in terms of getting things done for Britain and for our citizens is important. But the argument that we are safer, that we're more secure, because the European Union is a means for dialogue between countries that were previously adversaries, is something that I never forget. However frustrating it can get around that table with 27 other Prime Ministers and Presidents, you never forget that these are countries that previously were in conflict. Now we talk, we discuss, we argue and we decide, and that is a far better way of doing things. Mark Spencer. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. If my constituents in the coalfields of Nottinghamshire are to share in the economic success driven by this government, they have to have access to employment via good quality public services. Um, can the Prime Minister give me any assistance in my campaign to open the Robin Hood line to extend it to the villages of Ollerton and Edwinstow so that we can get them on a train and to a job? Yeah. I think my honourable friend makes a very important point. Quality infrastructure is absolutely essential for our economy and I'm pleased to say that following representations from my honourable friend and others, the Department for Transport have revised the conditions for their new stations fund so that projects like the Robin Hood line that are an earlier stage of development can benefit from government money to kickstart them and get them going. And fluid. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In 2003, the current Prime Minister and most of today's cabinet joined Tony Blair and his cabinet at the time in voting for the war in Iraq. This is historically factual and can't be denied. Will not the judgment of Chilcot be discredited? if the report fails to recognise that the then Prime Minister honestly and genuinely believed that his actions, given the information available, were the right thing to do with the time. Yeah. Well, what I say to the um, right honourable lady, and I remember very powerful speeches she made at the time with all the concerns that she had for uh, people in Iraq, particularly the, the Kurds, I, I remember that well. Um, it is we should wait for the Chilcot report, we should wait for what it has to say. I have absolutely no idea what is in it. All I do know is that its publication is coming quite soon. Oh. Carl McCartney. Thank you, Speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
The European Union recently admitted it now has a black hole in its finances of 24.7 billion euros, around 19 billion pounds. 18 months ago, my right honourable friend declared that he would not pay the EU a 1.7 billion pound surcharge, effectively a fine on British taxpayers for growing our economy. Yet he later was forced to pay up. What reassurance would my right honourable friend give the House? that hard-working British taxpayers will not be forced to pour money into this EU back hole if our nation votes to remain in the European Union? And would he accept, like me, that really our only option to halt payments such as this is for our constituents to vote to leave the EU on the 23rd? Yeah. Well, the, the, the reassurance I can give my honourable friend is that we fixed the European budget for a seven-year period between 2014 and 2020, and we fixed a total for that budget that was lower than the previous seven-year period and means that European budgets are going to go down and not up. And that cannot be changed. This is a very important point. That overall ceiling of spending is determined by all 28 Prime Ministers and Presidents. There is a veto over changing it, just as there is a veto over the British rebate. The only person who can give up the British rebate is the British Prime Minister. And as long as I'm standing here, and as long as I'm Prime Minister, there's absolutely no prospect of that happening. Now, I will, as he ended his question uh, with a remark, I will end mine with a remark, which is there is no expert that is saying we would make a saving from leaving the EU. The only black hole there would be would be in our public finances because we'd have a smaller economy, we'd have lower tax receipts, so we'd either have to cut spending or put up taxes to make up for the fact. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's time buses, just like trains, are required to provide audiovisual information. Mm. This would benefit not just those who are blind or deaf, but many general users. Mm. And I've actually written to the Transport Minister on this subject. Yeah. Could the Prime Minister commit his government to sign up to an amendment to the buses bill that would allow this measure to be implemented and provide better accessibility for all? Yeah. Well, I will look very closely at what he says. I think that I'm right in saying the buses bill is, of course, a devolved matter, so it affects issues in England rather than issues in Scotland. But let me look carefully at what he says, because we do want to make sure that disabled people can properly use uh, the bus services that we have. Craig McKinley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will be aware that it is five years since the announcement by Pfizer's in Sandwich to scale down operations. Since then, with enterprise zone status, there has been a true renaissance of high-tech businesses on site, with employment levels now nearly up to the previous position. He has previously promised a trip to South Thanet. Can I invite him once more to see on site the success of Discovery Park in my constituency? Well, I'm, I'm delighted uh, to, to, to make that uh uh, to, to answer that offer and say yes I would like to go because I remember very well it was early uh, in, 2000, in the 2010 Parliament when Pfizer made that decision and I think there were real concerns that this would lead to an exit of jobs and investment in my right honourable friend's constituency and I want to pay tribute to David Willits who did actually a great job as science minister at the time working with others including with the local MP to get businesses to locate in the constituency and to show that actually there's a very strong pharmaceutical and life sciences industry in our country uh, are providing the jobs that we need. This is Helen Goodman. Thank you Mr Speaker. With industrialists like Glaxo and Hitachi warning that if we left the EU jobs would be lost, the Brexit 
economist Patrick Min Minford has revealed that their strategy means manufacturing would be mostly eliminated. Yeah. Would the Prime Minister join me in calling on the Brexit leaders to say how many of other people's jobs they would sacrifice on the altar of their own I think the Honourable Lady makes an important point, which is one of the reasons why international companies like Hitachi, one of the reasons they invest in Britain, of course we have excellent labour relations, we have the English language, we have a very hard-working workforce, great engineers, but they also invest here because we're members of the single market. And I thought what the head of Hitachi said this week about wanting us to be the European headquarters, to manufacture those trains in the North East and sell them all over Europe, and how that might not be possible if we were to leave was an incredibly powerful statement. So in my clear view, jobs come first, and if people want to vote for jobs, they should vote for Remain on June the 23rd. Yeah. Neil Carmichael. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Uh, speaking at uh, many universities, colleges and schools across England, and also uh, through organisations organised by the Universities UK, University Alliance and the Russell Group, I have been struck by the strong interest that young people have in remaining in the European Union. So does the Prime Minister agree with me that Britain should take a firm lead in the European Union to promote the interests of young people in, for their careers, their research and their opportunities in the future generally? I think our universities have been pretty much unanimous in recommending that we vote to remain in the EU. I think that is partly because of the opportunities that young people will have from being part of a single market of 500 million people, but it's also because our universities do very well out of research funding, which is actually helping to create the businesses and the jobs of the future. While we contribute around 11% of the EU research budget, we receive around 16% of the allocated funding. So staying in Europe is good for students' opportunities, good for young people's opportunities and good for our science base. Yeah, Stephen yeah. Patterson. Thank you, Mr yeah, Speaker. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday at the Defence Committee, the former First Sea Lord, Admiral Lord West, commented that the Ministry of Defence had effectively run out of money for shipbuilding. Given reports that another Russian submarine has had to be escorted out of the UK waters overnight, does the Prime Minister share my concerns that the delays to work beginning at the Clyde shipyards uh, on the new frigates uh, is causing real problems and agree that it's essential that the money is allocated to deliver this programme in full and on schedule. Yeah. It is certainly not the case that this country in any way has run out of money or run out of ambition when it comes to shipbuilding. We are currently building the two largest ships the Royal Navy has ever had and we are going to shortly uh, be commissioning the Type 26 programme as well as the offshore patrol vessels. And the point I would make to the Honourable Member is there's only one way we could threaten shipbuilding on the Clyde and that would be to pull out of the United Kingdom and see the jobs, see the jobs be decimated as a result. Dr Liam Fox. Thank you Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, the beauty of a referendum is that every voter has an equal voice, every vote carries equal weight and members of Parliament have no moral or political superiority over anybody else. Does my right honourable friend accept that the referendum is not a consultation but an instruction to Parliament from the British people? Is it not therefore incumbent on all of us to accept in advance that remain would mean remain and leave would mean leave and any attempt to shortchange or distort the, ver the verdict of the British people would be a democratic outrage? Yeah. I think my right honourable friend is absolutely right 
Every vote counts the same. We have asked the British people for their opinion and we should treat their decision as an instruction to deliver. Now, I know many people would like me to be a bit more nuanced in what I think, to say there are two options, they both have some merits, it's a balanced decision. That might have made my life easier, but the problem is I don't believe it. I very strongly believe we are better off if we stay in, and that is why the government is saying so clearly to the British people, and I'm saying so clearly to the British people, better off, stronger, safer. But in the end, it is the British people's decision. Matthew Pennycook. Uh, Only last week, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister was rightly extolling the virtues of the EU as a means to tackle pollution. Uh, And yet over recent months, the UK government has led efforts to water down a key EU directive aimed at reducing the number of people that die every year from breathing toxic air. Can you tell us why? What we're doing in our own country is making sure that we improve our air quality, that we go for these clean air zones, and we have seen a major reduction uh, in particulates in the air over the last uh, few years, and we're going to continue doing just that. Peter Bone. Thank you, Mr Speaker. What the Prime Minister said today in Europe, I think, is right. We have to go and campaign. But I remember, sir, what you said yesterday about notifying members if they're going to be in their constituency. So can I say to the Prime Minister, a group of global-looking Leave campaigners will be descending on Whitney at lunchtime this Sunday. I will be there. And would the Prime Minister be able to join us? And given what he has just said, would he confirm that if the country votes to leave, he would be able to stay on Prime Minister and negotiate the exit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, first of all, I'm very sorry I won't be able to meet my honourable friend. I'm, I'm, um, I'm making an appearance on the uh, Andrew Marr programme on Sunday, but um, I would recommend he goes to the Fleece pub in Whitney and spends as much time and as much money there uh, rather than anything else. Dr. Rupert Hart. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will we have a decision into the Davis report on airport expansion by the time the House rises this summer? And does he personally stand by his word? No ifs, no buts, no third runway at Heathrow. I I absolutely stand by what I said, that we will have a decision about this uh, in the summer and we do need to decide. Fiona Bruce! Next next week, the annual National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast will take place here in Westminster Hall, when 600 community and faith leaders and over 100 MPs will gather. Yet also this week, we hear of a Christian union being banned from holding prayer and Bible study meetings, purportedly on the grounds of the government's anti-terrorism prevent strategy. Does the Prime Minister agree that such action was never the purpose of a strategy intended to address terrorism and extremism? Prime Minister! Of course what my honourable friend says is right. I'm very sorry I'm not going to be able to attend the prayer breakfast because I know it is a a very good event and it brings a lot of people together and means a lot to to Christians around our country. Um, The point she makes about uh, the prevent duty being misused I haven't heard of that exact example, but I mean it's clearly ludicrous and people do need to exercise some common sense in making these judgments because it's quite clear that's not what was intended. Alex Cunningham. Thank you Mr Speaker. Every day around 6,000 people, many of them children, take on new caring responsibilities, providing unpaired care for an ill, old or a disabled family member or friend. Yet many take carers tell me they feel abandoned by everyone, including the government. 
In this carer's week, will the Prime Minister pledge his government to do much better for the 9,500 carers in my Stockton North constituency and the 6.5 million across the country? Yeah. Yeah. I certainly take this opportunity to pay tribute to carers across our country for the selfless work they do, for the immense amount of money that they save taxpayers every year for, the, for what they do, but above all for the love and the commitment that they give to the people they're caring for. What we have done is tried to help by, for instance, increasing the number of carers' breaks, because many carers will say to you the one thing they need to go on caring is an occasional break and is time away from their caring responsibilities and we should continue to work on all those things to help our carers. Bob Neill. The largest single source of employment and wealth in my constituency is the London-based financial services market. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the opportunity to continue trading freely in a 500 million market, single market in financial services and with completed global uh, capital, uh, completed capital markets union is an unparalleled and an optimistic opportunity for my constituents and one that no sensible businessman would ever turn his back on? I think my honourable friend makes an important point, and, and here it really is worth understanding exactly what this single market means. Because it means that a financial services company based in the UK effectively has a passport to trade in 27 other EU countries. If we are to leave, and if we leave the single market, we lose that passport right. And so, therefore, by definition, many of the firms would have to relocate at least some of their staff into another European Union country. HSBC have said they'd have to scrap a thousand jobs. JP Morgan said they'd have to scrap four thousand jobs. Lloyds came out and said that many jobs in insurance would be under threat. And this is a concrete example of why the single market matters. And I would make the point, because this doesn't just affect his constituency, two-thirds of the jobs in financial services are outside of London and this accounts for 7% of our economy. So when experts warn of effects on jobs and growth and livelihoods in our country, this is a classic example of why they're right to make that case. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that a vote to leave on the 23rd of June would be a hammer blow for the British steel industry? And will will he agree to meet with me in order to discuss a number of the decisions that are being made in the context of the Tata sale process, imminent decisions that will have a huge impact on thousands of jobs in my constituency and right across the country. I'm working very closely with the Honourable Gentleman, as is my um, right honourable friend, the Business Secretary, to help do everything we can to secure a future for Tata Steel. Uh, And the sales process is progressing, and I think that is um, encouraging. What I'd say is, yes, I think for steel, we are better off inside the European Union, because together, as one of 28 countries, we are far better able to stand up to whether it's the Chinese or indeed the Americans over dumped steel. And where we put in place those dumping tariffs, you can see 95, 98, 99% reductions in the quantity of Chinese steel in those categories being uh, imported into the EU. We still face a very difficult situation. There's still massive overcapacity, but we're definitely, for the steel industry, better off as part of this organisation fighting for British steel workers' jobs. John Barron. Will the Prime Minister address an issue that the Remain campus so far fudged and that our present immigration policy, in all truthfulness, cannot control numbers coming in from the EU for the benefit of our public services, but also actually discriminates against the rest of the world outside the EU? 
to say I'm for having appeared, spent my evening yesterday with Mr. Mr. Farage, or, or Farage as I like to call him. I'm confused about what it is that the Leave camp actually want when it comes to immigration. I thought they wanted less immigration, but now they seem to want more immigration from outside the EU into our country. My view is we should restrict welfare in the way that we've negotiated, so you have to come and work here for four years before you get full access to our welfare system. No more something for nothing. People pay in before they get out, and then we should focus on proper controls on migration from outside the EU, on which we have made some progress over, over re recent years, and we can do some more. That's the right answer, but the alternative of an Australian point system, if you look at Australia, they have twice as much immigration per head as we have here in the UK. That's not the right answer for Britain. Stephen Gethin. Yeah. Um, as he reaches the end of his time in office, yeah. <laughs> President Obama reflects <laughs> His worst mistake was the catastrophe in Libya. What's the Prime Minister's worst mistake in his time in office? Prime Minister! Uh, the time to reflect on your mistakes is clearly when you're close to your, the end of your time in office, so that doesn't apply. I'm sure the Honourable Lady is delighted to receive such a tumultuous cheer. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I was delighted to welcome my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, to my constituency to Faversham last week to visit our largest local employer, Shepherd Neem. We heard that having a strong and stable economy is vital for the ongoing success of Britain's oldest brewery. Does my right honourable friend agree that leaving the European Union would put in jeopardy that strong economy and with it British businesses, British jobs, and British livelihoods? My honourable friend is right. Shepherd Neem, which is, I think, the oldest brewery in the country, they couldn't have been clearer about wanting to stay in a reformed European Union because they want a strong and successful economy, they want to be part of a single market, and they recognise that's in our interests. And I know that she and I uh, very much enjoyed the pint of Spitfire we had at about 10.30 in the morning, the things we have to do to win this argument, but we have absolute commitment to carry it through. Mr Nigel Dodds. Mr. Speaker, given, given the number of people who will be travelling from all parts of the United Kingdom, I'm sure, including Scotland, I'm sure, uh, to the Euros next uh, <laughs> week, <laughs> and uh, we uh, we welcome everybody. And given that, uh, given Leicester's success uh, in the Premiership, Northern Ireland at 150 to one is almost certain to win. Um, <laughs> Will the Prime Minister ensure on a more serious note that, given the number of visitors and the security threats and all the rest of it, that the British Embassy and Consular staff are fully geared up and resourced and staffed to deal with undoubtedly the problems that will arise? Well, I'm, I'm very grateful for the Right Honourable Member for raising this issue, and I'm sure uh, this is one occasion when the whole House will want all the home nations to stay in Europe for as long as possible. I think that is something we can. Come on, now, I'm, I'm going to be watching. Our first game is England-Russia, and I'm going to be uh, watching very carefully to check we get uh, very strong support.
Uh, but well, the Honourable General makes a very important point, which is this is a very big security undertaking. Half a million people are planning to leave the United Kingdom to go to this, uh, to go to this tournament. We have set out very clear travel advice because people do need to know that obviously there is a significant um, terrorist threat in France today and there is a potential threat uh, to this tournament. We've set out very clearly the threat level in France is critical. The threat level for the tournament is severe and people need to know that. The French security operation is, is enormous. 77,000 police and gendarmes, 10,000 military personnel, 13,000 security guards. We're providing additional counter-terrorism and public order support to the French, uh, including deployment of additional police on trains into France, more UK border force outbound checks, and we're also helping with sniffer dogs and any other areas that the French ask us for. We all want to see an absolute great celebration of European football. I wish all the home nations well. I think it's brilliant that Northern Ireland have made it uh, to this tournament, and I know we all, and of course Wales, and of course England, uh, and uh, I look forward to, in the breaks in this campaign, watching some fantastic football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Order.